Greetings and welcome to the Lightfoot Podcast. Today I have a very special episode for you. I know I say that every episode, but this one is especially special because I'm joined by my very dear friend Sam and we unpack a story that's close to our hearts. It's the story of the Doc Rack Collective, which is what kickstarted this whole journey for me five or six years ago. So strap in, buckle up, and enjoy this adventure. Let me uh, apologize in advance for speaking so much more than Sam did. She was really the host of this podcast and held space for me to tell the story. She's far more interesting than I am, and I plan to have her back on the podcast soon to delve deeper into her thoughts and minds. So this is uh, a bit of a Joe journey this week. Enjoy. Sam, welcome to the Lightfoot Podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here with me. How are you doing? Hi, I'm so excited to be here with you. Yes, we're going to tell a story together. We're going to tell the story of the Doc Rack Collective, which is quite a tale, quite an epic Shakespearean tragedy, you might say, at times, but there was a lot <laughs> magic in there as well uh so we want to try and do justice to everything um definitely want to point out that this is going to be uh the sam and joe perspective on the doc rack story and different people are going to have very different experiences and equally valid truths inside of that so with that disclaimer said i want to invite you sam to come on this journey with me back through time and uh yeah, appreciate and make sense of the wonderful experience that we had together in community over the last five or six years. Are you, do I have your consent? I'm excited. I feel like the past couple of years, our joint journey through this reflecting and looking back of back on it is, I feel like that's all led us to this moment right now. I'm super excited. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. So let's, back up and give a bit of context so doc rack collective um started in late 2016 um in chiang mai in the north of thailand which is where sam and i have been largely living for most of that time um and it's a pretty magical city. It's important to tell a little bit about the place because it sets the context for the story. It's like there's a million people that live in Chiang Mai. It's an ancient city with temples and mountains and a really relaxed, uh, chilled out vibe. The, the local people, the Thai people are very sabai, which means uh, laid back. And they're really lovely humans. They're very welcoming to uh foreigners they're very open-hearted they're very playful uh they're very earthy and yeah it's just an amazing city there's all sorts of uh, incredible people from all over the world living there and um that includes a cross-section of hipsters hippies hermetics and hackers that have kind of congregated there because uh it's just a good vibe uh, it's incredibly cheap and there's a really strong sense of community as well as the kind of 
ancient sense of community underlied from the Thai people, just the way they live with each other. Um, my partner is Thai and I've experienced her. She's from Chiang Mai. Her family and the way they roll with each other is something that uh, is really special and is quite neo-tribal in a lot of ways. And I feel that for those of us living there, we kind of were in that field and we started to create our own story uh, largely because of the context that we were in. So um, do you want to add anything to that, Sam? Yeah, that sounds good. I think it's important to understand that because that really allows for to set the scene for how most of the foreigners live there, which is with lots of free time and um, lots of availability to connect and hang out, create community and not needing to work the typical 40 hour week that most people are working in the West. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, picture this, you've got a couple of hundred people in this community. They don't have their family there. They don't have much monetary pressure on them. The weather's good. There's lots of lovely people around. There's lots of co-created events. And so you can imagine it's the perfect petri dish for a kind of uh, deeply collective experience. And it started to come together around uh, a cafe that we were all frequenting that would have open mics and jam nights and just a really communal vibe um, and some amazing Thai staff working there, kind of holding the space for all that to happen. And around that, there were these kind of, this mycelium was created of this really diverse community. Um, I think Binky deserves a special mention at this point. Um, he is a larger than life MC from Chicago who brought his whole magic and open mic game and uh, really created a kind of, uh, yeah, a container for which the community congealed even more strongly within. That was kind of counterbalanced by uh, my more hippie, open-hearted, at that time, new age vibrations that uh, meshed really well. And Binky and I had a really beautiful friendship that emerged through co-hosting an open mic that yeah, it was, is worth mentioning as one of the initial seeds of, of, of how people came together. This cafe uh, had many events, but the open mic was, uh, yeah, really interesting because it was an alcohol-free event where people could just stand up and emote or beatbox or interpretive dance. And there was a really wide cross-section of people that came and performed and were also in the audience. And that diversity, that plurality was just really rich and it started to, um, yeah, kind of happen all across Chiang Mai, not just in this cafe, at different times, there were different groups doing different events. There was a festival, Jai Tep, that was started. And um, yeah, these different nodes started to create a community feeling. And at one point, we just decided to kickstart a collective. We just said, hey, let's, let's, let's do this and discover what that looks like. And that led to a really special few months um, kind of three or four months of getting it together where a, a group of us, probably about 50 or 60, 70 at that point, would meet every week. And we met in this mud brick structure without walls 
that didn't have electricity at the time. So it was filled with candles. So it had this wonderful Buffy the Vampire Slayer type cult vibration going on that was really lovely and really warm. And we all just sat together and it was really magical. We just kind of like discovered each other in this new context of like, hey, let's let's formalize some aspect of this community thing. We didn't know what that meant. It was an experiment, but we uh, started little garden projects and we thought about how we can share NVC training together. And we uh, came up with a group set of values and we'd listen to a performer each time and we raised money for some orphans and we just did really cool stuff and we all started to see that there was some quality to everyone in the circle you had people from all different generations like i mean at its high point doc rack had people from at least over 20 maybe more countries so all different ages all different politics all different ideas but some heart-based kind of connection that was shared that we couldn't quite put words to, which was really special. So each one of these meetings was fun and magical and like very co-created, um, which was also special. It was kind of this like we're all putting a little bit in. And yeah, that was a wild ride. That feels to me like the honeymoon phase of, you know, a romantic relationship. If I look back, like I was super idealistic about this group just becoming like next level neo-tribal revolutionary world changes together and uh, really feeling that really high on the love and appreciation of everyone that was turning up, um, including you, Sam, who I remember drew our values, put some, there was this, these moments of these moments of like the magic was built because people put their energy into it. And that was a moment where you're like, yeah, you didn't tell anyone it was happening. Kel, Shout out to Kel, also helped out with that process. Um, and his vulnerability and openness was a really beautiful aspect of the whole formation of the community as well. Um, but you, yeah, you drew up all the values that we created on a big piece of butcher's paper. And those little additions from people, you start to create this special soup of when you have the right container and people put a little bit of their soul into it, it starts to create this really magical kind of mixture. So. Maybe, Sam, you want to give me some of your reflections on the early days? Oh, the sweet honeymoon phase. Mm. Those memories are have a little sparkle around them. Um, I look back on them. Everything seemed so ripe with potential and infinite possibilities at the time. Um, I remember just really feeling like we were coming together as a group of people in a way that I had never experienced before. And it was definitely my first sense of community, which felt so different from the way that I had made individual friendships or groups of friendships previous to that. And it felt so special to be a part of that. And Joe, I think everyone really being able to bring their magic and their special flares thanks to you, because you did an incredible job really inviting people to step up and bring what they had to offer and, um, yeah, bring their best selves, bring their most powerful selves. So you were at the center of all that, really holding it all and um, inviting all of the magic to kind of gel together in the special way that it did. Mm. Yeah, I was getting 
energy healings from a friend of mine who was coming and afterwards I just lay down on the ground and she would share like, what are you doing? How are you doing that? How are you sharing all of your essence with everyone so freely? Don't you feel depleted and exhausted? And I'm like, I kind of was, but I also wasn't. It was both things. And, you know, the the healing that I would get energetically afterwards really helped. Um, but, yeah, it's good to note for, you know, the broader collective building uh, data that we're gathering and reflections that it definitely takes a lot of soul juice from one or two, three or four people at the beginning and great risk to really open yourself up to so many different people. And almost in hindsight, maybe perhaps a level of naivety around how much you're opening up to and what that involves and how much I'm learning from the other people I've been interviewing in this podcast. Like it does, yeah, you kind of get put in this. For me, it's like an almost quasi-shamanic role of holding the energy behind the scenes that it's, it's such a subtle thing that can, it's so hard to put into words and there's so much going on with it and it, it becomes a transpersonal effort where you kind of need to give yourself, sacrifice yourself to that process. Um, and yeah, it's holy and sacred, but it's also a lot. And um, yeah. Yeah, I could imagine. Um, I think that it seems like there's always at least one and maybe a few of those people at the center of all communities. Do you feel like it would be better if that was more formally recognized so they could be properly cared for and, and held in the energetic dance that they're doing for everyone? Because otherwise it seems like it may potentially not be sustainable if everyone else is not understanding the behind the scenes magic that's going into holding everything together definitely yeah i think it is the bottleneck for how quickly these kinds of communities can proliferate and then also sustain because it just seems to be there's a point at which it's too much for those people in the middle of it it's something i'm seeing again and again so i think it's a really important part to be able to to kind of do that but it's tricky because See, you're trying to step beyond old school hierarchies and power structures when you set these things up. So like you don't want to recreate the issues that you've seen a million times of having too much of a top-down system or too much of a kind of leader out in front dynamic. So it's this really difficult dance. Um, but I think, you know, I'm seeing more dialogue come around it and I think that's naturally starting to evolve. And as I've started to interact with other communities as well, um, after and during the Dockrack experience, I can subtly see that happen and give a lot of support to that leader character. So it's, it's nice. It's like, um, yeah, I think it's starting to, 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 to shift even in what I'm seeing. Cause it, it is definitely an obvious bottleneck because people just get burnt out. Um, and kind of initiated into what that's like to be in the center of it. Um, so one thing that like you get bolstered, you also get, I mean, being that energetically open is fantastic in other ways, because when other people step in and do things, you feel it and you feel really close to them. And that happened. People did amazing stuff. Um, I remember Alex uh, forked out to, fix up the the garden plots 
and uh, Rodney and he stepped up to help run the hatchery, which is this wonderful little social enterprise um, kind of mastermind group that we did together. Um, Sean and Amanda helping out with funneling that money towards the orphans that need it to build a well. So that's an amazing feeling when you take the risk and you open and it works and you get this synergy together. It feels like, God, I'm getting high just remembering that. Um, but it's like, that feels like the future of human interaction to me. It feels like that giving to each other without thinking about it and then just having an abundance of goodness overlap into one another. And, uh, that was really special. And so that happened for a few months and uh, it's kind of, it was kind of a sacred, uh, quasi religious, tiny bit culty feel to the beginning of it, which I think <laughs> is important. And I want to speak to, cause I mean, that's the quality of Chiang Mai a bit. There's a lot of yogis and psychedelic trippers and like just Buddhists around there. I remember Mo and Ilu coming to, <laughs> they, they came in quite quickly to one of the second meetings and they're, they're extraordinary duo and, they were like right into it and or Elu was from the beginning. She was like, wow, this is really cool. She really felt it. And Mo later on told me that uh, he was really suspect at the first meeting. He was like, what is this group of, what's this cult that's forming here? You know, this isn't cool because he, he's, he's come from a bit of a religious background and is sensitive to that as a lot of us have. A lot of us are really sensitive to funky group dynamics but then he quickly, he came back to two and three and, and he realized that like, all right, it was on the healthy and lovely side of that. And that is actually perhaps the, a quite profound quality of what was going on. I may be misinterpreting sure. Mo's experience a little bit, but that was what I remember. Yeah. I'm sure all of us huddled around a bunch of candles in the moonlight didn't quite help convince him otherwise. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So that kind of... Um, uh, culminated in the first gathering happening, which was uh, thanks to Jean Ellis, who was the last guest on this podcast talking about the Pink Collective. Jean and Rodney uh, were both part of Pink for a few years beforehand. So they had some idea of what a collective-like structure could be. And, and they knew that gatherings were like a key essential part of that. So they spearheaded the wonderful experience of uh, – renting a place for two or three nights and people in the collective just coming together to be with each other for a few days. And that was new for everyone. And that was a really, really special experience. It was like we were creating our own reality together. And Chiang Mai being what it is, you can rent some pretty amazing houses pretty cheap. So when you get like that many people chipping in, like we're, we're in – pretty stunning surrounds with really amazing food and co-creating this wonderful event with like just so many beautiful artists and musicians and a lot of warm cuddles and a lot of fresh beginnings that we were going to do something magical together and change the world and change ourselves in the process. Um, yeah. Do you want to reflect on the first gathering a little bit, Sam? Yeah, I think... Chiang Mai being what it is, there's no shortage of awesome events and things to do and places to connect and be together. But I think all of the gatherings have kind of provided a time for the community to just be together in a way that 
it seems that we never really got the chance otherwise because things are so um, relaxed in some ways. And then there would be these fast-paced times of the year where we'd all be doing the festivals or doing events and dancing. And it was really nice to have multiple days in a row where we kind of all stayed in a bubble together and just got to form deeper connections with people. And I think Mm. having that throughout the years has been what's really deepened a lot of relationships between I know I always looked forward to the gatherings for the times that I would get to know people that I'd otherwise had a good time with but didn't feel like I quite knew them yet and Mm. I always walked out of every gathering with a better friendship than when I walked in and I really appreciated that yeah definitely it is quite special it's hard to put into words those experiences to be honest like they're love filled so genuine so real they felt like drinking from an oasis after having been in a desert of quasi alienation that is at least my experience of much of the modern world where we just kind of subtly miss each other by being caught in our patterns and loops of dancing to the capitalist tune that is chewing up the planet and so to have these little these little pockets of stillness together and the feelings that emerge and the creativity that emerges and the kind of transcendental love which can happen uh it's pretty potent pretty potent and um yeah those memories will be with me forever definitely um the name Doc Rack we should also talk to. One of uh, our early Thai contributors suggested it because it was a flower. It's a flower that grows. It's it's beautiful flower. It's got this kind of sacred geometrical quality to it. It's used in Thai temples, um, and it means the flower of love, Doc Rack. And it grew on the site where we had the first meeting. And it's very resilient. It's almost like a weed. Um, and that resiliency is a really key aspect for me because the the whole impetus behind setting up these collectives was seeing how these communities can waver and when they're connected too much to certain individuals or certain venues or events um they're not so resilient because when those things shift and they inevitably do in life the community can can wobble around so that resiliency was the idea of like how do we make this last and how do we make something that's going to go into the into the future in perpetuity and just grow stronger and deeper in a kind of neo-tribal way. And so, yeah, these purple dock rack flowers, they're used in Thai temples as well uh, because they're, they're a flower. They're very waxy. They last the longest of any other flower after they've been picked before wilting. So, um, yeah, that was the, that was the name of dock rack. And it, funny to hear everyone pronounce it so differently, like dock rack, dock rack, dock rack. Um, doc, doc, doc lack, which is how I think it's actually more close in Thai. Always, people often think Dothraki. That's the first thing they think of. So they have this strong Game of Thrones reference coming to their head when you first mention the community, which is fun to watch them go through. How do How do you pronounce it, Sam? Oh gosh, are you trying to call out my Thai skills right here? No, go just like straight up New York. Dothraki. How's that? Dothraki. Yeah, yeah. There's no wrong. Like answer. it. 
Um, so we gathered. That was a peak experience. Um, we all jumped into a Facebook group. We defaulted to Facebook. Maybe, uh, yeah, not the best move in hindsight, but um, that's what was there. That was the community building tool on our radar. So it was kind of like this quasi proxy for who was in Doc Rack was if you're a member of this Facebook group. And um, that grew really quickly. So after each, there's seasons in Chiang Mai that end in the end of February. So the peak season goes from November kind of to end of January. And then it gets smoky. They burn the forests and farms. And so everyone kind of leaves for a few months. So there's this natural, actually beautifully healthy process for community I've found where most people leave for three months and that creates this ref- refreshing kind of rejuvenating thing because it can be quite sticky to be in deep community with people all the time continuously. Um, so that happened. Not everyone's leaves. Obviously, uh, there's a contingent that stays behind. Um, the Thai folks, for example, we probably had like not many Thai people, to be honest, like five, six, seven, eight Thai people. Um, but it's tricky because the language thing, it was all done in English and that wasn't everyone's primary language. And we definitely, the, in, the intent was to include the Thai folks as much as possible because they were just rock stars, all of them. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's tricky. That language barrier was a thing that we never really figured out how to do, how to get past that. Um, but, uh. Yeah, there was some some Thai energy in there, and I, I was working hard to cultivate that behind the scenes. But um, after that first season, things grew really quickly in the Facebook group. For some reason, like I don't know, word got out or something, and it, and it like catapulted to like five, six, seven hundred people in the Facebook group. After not long, I guess they just felt the, the good vibes, and there was excitement around it, and. Um, there was a kind of core team that formed at the beginning that uh, were the people that had stepped up and kind of done things. That was how they got selected. But there was another interesting moment there where it was like, well, do we take this to a vote? Is it going to be democratic? Like, whoa, suddenly like we're a community, but then there's this interesting point where you have to think about power structures and who's operating what and who gets to choose what. And, and it's tricky. There's a lot at that at moment. And so running a democratic process at that point felt a little bit premature, but I remember getting some pretty strong and, you know, worthwhile feedback and uh, criticism from a few folks that like, Hey, that was an important moment we missed. We, we should have, we should have voted straight away as to how things were going to run. And I hear that, but also looking back, it's like, it's just so much to organize. And, and, and when you start to get into those structures, it really does become like a full-time job. So there's this funny line that I think most community builders are running of like wanting to keep it open and easy to manage without it totally consuming them or becoming too political too quickly because political energy tends to sap a lot of the lightness out of these settings. And there was something that, you know, you couldn't quite put your finger on that we were experiencing together that, you know, I personally didn't want to contain or quelch just yet. Um, Is there anything on that that you want to speak to, Sam? Yeah, I think it's also important to to mention that 
during those early days when we were having those magical meetings and being vulnerable and silly and there was discussion of who would be doing what and it was kind of talked about in a more town hall style democratic-ish process and I think that context was missed for the bunch of people who may have joined the Facebook group after those days and so it seemed more arbitrary as to who was doing what and why but um, I think for a lot of the people that were there from the start it, it made sense as to what was happening and why there wasn't a cast of 200 Facebook members vote in order to make decisions and make things happen. Yeah, definitely. And almost this kind of wonderful, subtle group without it needing to be said agreement on things, you know, there's this wonderful thing that can happen where it's like a feeling and a vibe. Um, And once you kind of systematize it too much or try and contain it, you risk losing that um but that's hard to sustain that's like a really high-end way of group organization that yeah is is tricky and and what we saw i I think it's also worth noting that not everyone that later participated in the community was there for those early days and there was a there's a big bridge between the people that experienced what was really the heart and seed of doc rack versus people that came in later and had a very different understanding of what it was and where it started and, and perhaps saw it as more of a Facebook group as rather than uh, something far more integrated than that. Um, and that's a, that's a learning lesson for me to, to like, I, it was easy to forget that a lot of people hadn't had that initial experience and that that was impossible to convey in words. That was a feeling um, that permeated things going forward, but um, wasn't always strong enough to initiate new people into that Um Yeah, I think that's an important learning point. I think that's the double-edged sword of the magic that was created because people came and felt it and wanted to be a part of it and felt ownership over it, which is really beautiful and a part of what made it special. Um, It was such a welcoming energy and everyone really felt to contribute their own flavor and, and, yeah, take responsibility and make it what they wanted it to be, which is really beautiful part of it and I think also got complicated when people started to feel a claim for it and maybe didn't realize fully what they were coming into or that it was just thought it was just a Facebook group missing the deeper context of the deep magical seeds that we had been cultivating for so long yeah yeah definitely so The group grows rapidly, and at that point, uh, Mr. Justin Lee, a dear friend and collaborator, had stepped up and was really uh, happy to help and uh, help manage things. And so Justin and I found ourselves as kind of uh, co-community gardeners for DocRack from there on out after that initial run. And, yeah, it was tricky because we're like, whoa, this Facebook group's grown ridiculously and um, there was some energies in there that didn't quite match with other people. I mean, in hindsight, so ambitious. I'm a bit like embarrassed to even look back at how 
generous I was in in how that was going to unfold. But like, yeah, people started coming in with more alt-right ideas and different vibes and like wanting to have their voice heard because it was a really kind of like like warm, even on Facebook, like a really warm group feeling. And I remember going to meet some fairly random dude who had joined the group, who'd been like kind of getting into scuffles and causing a bit of uh, unease. And I remember sitting with him and I was just like, whoa, what am I doing here? Like this is, if I start doing this, this is going to be more than a full-time job and I'm going deeply into this person's life when really like that doesn't, this isn't sustainable. Like this person doesn't really fit with what the group is. And it's that first moment of like, shit, I've got to be more realistic around like membranes, inner and outer rings and protect what it is so that it can be what it is and kind of get initiated into that wake up call that it can't be everything to everyone or it's nothing to no one. And so that's really hard because like a lot of the impetus for these projects is inclusivity and to help everyone change and to be open. So I've seen lots of community builders go through that. And so we, we, we shut down the group and we restarted it again and um, it ended up kind of balancing out at about 200 people over the years, um, probably about, I don't know, only 50 or 60 of them were more full-time in Chiang Mai and the rest were kind of half in and out for seasons or just based around the world. So it was kind of a little bit spread. And yeah, I I also remember then um, going to New Kind Festival in Australia, like absolutely high as a kite on this idea of collectives. I wrote an article at that point trying to capture what was going on. I was trying to look to see whether there were any other examples of this going on, but other than in Spiral and Pink, I couldn't really find any. So I was like, all right, I want to try and put words to what this is. And New Kind Festival is this amazing. Uh, it was the first year of this like sustainable systems change uh, event in Australia. And I remember sitting with the grabbing the festival organizer who was a friend of mine, Irfan, who was super busy doing many different things at once. And I was like, Irfan, like sit with me for a minute. And he's like, all right, I'm busy, but yeah, cool. Like, what do you got? And I'm like, we need to turn this into a collective. Collectives are the answer. Everything about collectives. Like we've got to form these quasi community groups. And I remember the look in his eye was kind of like, whoa, like I can see that you really believe in this and I trust your like ideas, but like that doesn't, that sounds a little bit, I mean, culty is the word that springs to mind, but like, it's hard to convey what it is outside of that. So it was, it was funny for him to just kind of be like, ah, I'm not so sure about that. Um, that continued in Bali where Justin and I also planted the seeds for a, a little collective over there. I did the same thing in Melbourne. So yeah, it was pretty magical. Like just taking that idea and, and planting it elsewhere and seeing how it, kind of started and then faltered after a while without having key people to really drive it forward. But the idea definitely had merit and really resonated with lots of different people. So cutting back to Chiang Mai then, and I would say that's like the early phase of Chiang Mai, of um, Doc Rack, sorry. And then the next bit was kind of like the the middle period, which was like three years of um, it starting to gain more traction, people to get a better sense of what it is. Um, again, shout out to Justin for sticking with it because there were some moments there where he and I really had to kind of like hold the vision early on and keep it alive. And he did that and he really put a lot of himself into that. Um, 
and that's what allowed for this middle period to happen of where people started to get a sense of belonging and we had some ritual we had the gathering happen every year we like were making up what it was i mean people never really knew what dark rack was they didn't even know whether they were really in it a lot of them like it wasn't super well defined um people had different ideas of it but still there was a, a congealing happening at this point and within that there was an inner ring of people that uh was starting to more deeply come into each other's lives you and i sam and a, and a group around us started to um experiment with pods podding which was um getting sp- small groups probably should have been smaller in hindsight it started with 14 <laughs> against your better advice and my enthusiastic inclusivity bernard as well really was critical in that and again another moment where someone stepped up and offered a lot of themselves to create cohesion in the community and um yeah we met we were that's where things kind of got a bit deeper yeah like we started to meet once a week for like six seven months and do these deep multi-hour shadow work personal exploration group therapy experiences and i mean that's the luxury of all of us living in chiang mai is like we had the time and flexibility to do that we could prioritize that we didn't have strong work commitments or family or even our own culture around us to distract us so that was deep and uh powerful and it was a lot. Do you want to speak to the pod experience? In that <laughs> oh, the pods. The first um, season at least. Okay, the first season. Yeah, I think that the pods is where community got really real for me. Like the first phase, the honeymoon phase with the infinite potential was magical and um But the pods really created a deeper sense of living in community with people, a small group of us getting to know each other so much better on so many more levels, exposing ourselves to really the intricacies of each other's lives and inner worlds. And it was super intense, not always pretty or fun or even good, but such a potent experience because despite, in addition to forming super strong connections with each other, it was so clear in lots of small and big ways that we were having such an impact on the wider community by growing such deeper roots with each other. I remember being at um, lots of different events and like making eye contact across the room, all of us, and just sharing this sense of this web of connection that we were really strengthening that was kind of blanketing the whole community and working its magic in ways that a lot of people didn't even realize. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, also, like, I want to give a shout out to the the first guinea pigs that did the pod with us. They're, like, <laughs> trusting us. Like, they rocked up. They're like, what are we doing? We're like, we don't really know. We just want to be together and see what happens. And that was brave. And it, it, it was also a lesson in, like, how 
different people are at different levels with their uh, comfort in sharing different aspects of themselves. And that can be tricky because people have had more experience or they just, their personality tends to lend themselves towards that. They can start to feel like imbalances of uh, how much people are sharing and at what level. And that was a real, this was the beginning of my initiation as like amateur psychologist and um, seeing it in myself as well and, and starting to see all the blocks. I mean, I, I wrote about this, but this is where community starts to become super freaking powerful because it starts to become a mirror as to you, on yourself, like beyond that fun of like, yeah, we all love each other and let's dance and, you know, support each other. It's like, no, like let's really show up here and like really see each other and see if we can still love one another after we look at all the shadowy bits together. Um, very deep process and quite tumultuous at times, to be honest. Um, yeah. You want to speak to that? And yeah. Inhale sharply there, Sam. <laughs> PTSD. No, I think, I don't think we had any idea the potential consequences and damage that we could have caused with that experiment. Like in addition to the amazing ways that it really brought us together, there was so many points in time that we almost found out that we potentially didn't love each other. If we really Mm. looked at each other's shadow shit and our own shadow shit, and that's really scary. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, on so many levels, right? Because I remember realizing how much I live in a sense of, you know, quasi-cognitive dissonance constantly to, like, filter out what I do and what I don't want to see about people and myself. And, yeah, this is the beginning of this fascinating journey i say it's the first steps towards becoming a community creature where it's really humbling because i realized how traumatized and fucked up i am in my own (laughs) special way and how much everyone is basically and it's just a function of how ready are we to slow down and look at that how able are we to slow down and look at that so many people myself included different times that just doesn't make sense. It's not a good time to do that. There's too much external pressure. There's too many things going on or or we're just not ready. And there's things like, it reminds me of just when a flower comes into blossom, it's got to happen at the right time. You can't force it. And so matching that up, getting people that are at the same point in their opening up cycle, I now we now know is really critical because if you've got people at different times with different levels of commitment, that doesn't create safe containers and that can create discord and unease and um yeah that happened towards the end of the first pod like ended in wonderful disaster um which was a microcosm of what was going to happen in the macrocosm of doc rack a couple of years later so yeah we definitely learned a lot along the way hey definitely learned a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah so Pods are happening. That's going on. Um, the gatherings happening. There's a whole lot of amazing events. I mean, the whole community is much broader than just Doc Rack, the Chiang Mai community. There's people who didn't really associate with it also doing amazing things. So I just generally the community is peaking um, and people that get a taste of it are just like, what is this? And they wanted to move there and be there and understand it and soak it up. Um, quite a magical, special time. And I think a lot of that magic was in the pluralism of it, the way that Justin and I were 
managing the Facebook group was that um, we kind of encouraged people not to post their personal theories or politics too much and tried to have like open discussions on broad topics that would like include everyone. Um, we avoided, well, not avoided, but we didn't touch on some key issues. We didn't talk about race early enough um, uh, or sexism, but we didn't talk about a lot of things. But in hindsight, well, we, we kind of steered clear of some of those more explosive topics Um just because it didn't feel like the container was quite ready for that. And it's like this really subtle process of this sense of like, yeah, well, when is it ready to open up? And so like Justin and I would have those discussions a bit and later Peter and Ui joined in as admins as well. But yeah, it was tricky, tricky to know like uh, how to keep that balance. And But in hindsight, those years were pretty special because you had a really broad group of people. You had conspiracy theorists, you had social justice activists, you had uh, New Ages, you had philosophical nihilists, you had everything in there, different ages from different countries. And if you can stay together and sync to some degree, that's a really special feeling. It's like this kind of complete amino acid profile of the human experience. Um, but it's uh, quite a subtle tension to, to hold in hindsight. Um, do you want to speak a bit to that? plurality and the magic of that Sam I think that was one of the best things about our community um yeah we all found ourselves connected by time and place and circumstance and had enough in common in the way we were living and the way we were spending our time that we were all seemingly able to share space and have fun together and be in community together and it's really beautiful yeah definitely definitely really really tricky behind the scenes making decisions like how you invite new people in and when and what process they have to go through um rather than turn that into a large formalized process kind of justin was basically managing that based on how deeply are people connected to Chiang Mai? How much do they seem to connect with other people in the group already? And kind of how heart-based and open are they? Like this really difficult to pin down quality of like fluid stability, which I describe in the book as like being grounded, but also being open. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting dynamic that it's, it's kind of like, I guess that was like a quasi benevolent dictator model you know of like it's much easier to let one person just quickly make those decisions on behalf of the group rather than have long deliberative processes because if that's the case then it wouldn't have been sustainable to even exist because it was kind of like already a tax on the people's running at time and so that's interesting in hindsight to, to see that dynamic and try to make sense of it um so yeah like I guess we start to talk about the final phase of Dark Rack then. So um, where does it even begin? So I, it's just as things are kind of peaking, which is interesting, like pre-COVID, just before COVID kicked in early the, this year, the beginning of 2020, the group is starting to get a sense of who it is and what it's about. It feels like it's matured. It feels like it's gotten past that 
startup phase of where most businesses fail. It feels like it's probably going to last forever in some way or another and that it's also become a very powerful part of people's lives. Like certain people in particular would say that it is the community is the most important thing in their life. Um, I was in that camp as were a lot of people close to me. And so, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise when it started to kind of get rocked at its foundations. Um, so, yeah, I guess what happened was uh, COVID kicked in and, and it was right at the time where everyone splits to go back to their own country anyway. So there was a lot of unease and, you know, 2020 vibes going on and like no one knows what's happening or whether this is going to be a virus that sweeps through and kills everyone. And so people actually leaned in closer to Doc Rock than ever before. And it was one of those moments where it's like, hey, this is more than just a nice to have. This is a need to have. Like we really need each other in this moment and we really need these mutual aid support networks to keep our mental health in check while we're isolating and, and not knowing when we're going to see the people we love again or what our futures are going to look like. Um, so that was interesting. That was one aspect of what was going on. And then, uh, the wave of black lives matter protests and activism unfolded in the U S at the same time and around the world. And, um, yeah, the racial tensions came back into the cultural spotlight and that led to a whole series of conflicts just broadly across the social media world, which still continue now, but they were kind of peaking early on um, as they tend to do every now and again, when, you know, some tragedy happens that shows us that we still have light years to go with systemic racism. And that filtered into the broader Chiang Mai community. And there was some kind of pretty intense commenting and Facebook warring going on which uh took a bit of time but then also arrived in doc rack with with a splash um there are yeah a bunch of um bipoc members of the community from all different ethnicities around the world and um a bunch of people in the community seem to be uh white people as well finding their voice in terms of social justice and issues of race. And it seemed to me at the time like that was a really powerful thing that was happening in the world. I was a little late to the game, to be honest, because I'm hermiting away in Melbourne in super lockdown, not even checking the news, like super deep in my book writing process, trying to like get it done. So I'm like weeks or months behind even knowing that these waves are going on, which, you know, ironically speaks to my white privilege, you know, in a kind of funny way um the when they arrived these tensions uh they arrived quite powerfully um do you want to chip in at this point sam you want, i can keep telling the story but maybe there's an element you want to add as well yeah go ahead you're doing it beautifully yeah so gosh it all happened so quick and intensely after that so uh one of our members posted in the group like uh is doc rack a place that people come to avoid to hide from racism and it was like whoa shots fired like that was that was pretty intense and fairly out of left field for me to be honest because there'd never been any uh to my knowledge any issues of racism within doc rack and defining that is tricky because it's a broader group of people living in a community so there's different events and festivals going on but you know doc rack specific events or in the facebook group itself 
like there'd always been what seemed to me like fairly beautiful uh, cohesion in those areas, in all areas, really. Um, you know, definitely some disagreements, but they weren't highlighted in the name of like the unity that was there. But, you know, when it was raised, like we went into it, we looked at it and we're like, all right, let's try and have this discussion and, and like unpack that question um, because it's an important one. And at the time, I think a lot of us were just starting to learn how many blind spots we had about race, myself included. I went through a really fascinating, deep, powerful, destabilizing process myself as a result of this, like really taking a look at my privilege and uh, analyzing my whiteness and coming to terms with that in ways that I hadn't before. And so that was a beautiful invitation. It was pretty intense, but I definitely learned a lot because of it. So yeah, we had a go at um, tackling it as a group, but it seemed like from the very get-go, it was a bit of a lost cause. To be honest, looking back, my first feeling was like, well, this is going to be the end. This is the beginning of the end as soon as it opened up because we were such a loose container without strong policing or really strong enough boundaries around that, that to then step in with a kind of more of a heavy hand felt to me like it would have just, yeah, it just wouldn't have worked, um, which may or may not be true in hindsight, but that's what it felt like at the time. And that kind of proved to be true in some ways because things unraveled pretty quickly. There was a lot of um, really difficult and intense discussions. Uh, there were a lot of really uh, upset people that felt that other people in the community were basically avoiding looking at questions of race. And so this process unfurled of like, you know, Justin and I, who are, and, and Peter, who was steering the ship then, were just like, okay, like, how do we do this? How do we go through this process of integrating our shadow around racism as a group through Facebook while everyone's shaky because of COVID? So it was tricky. And, and you know, tempers were high and people were having full-on emotional breakdowns and breakthroughs and there was a lot of guilt in the air and there was a lot of repressed anger and activism I felt from people that hadn't been able to have their voice heard and who'd actually been feeling stifled around this issue in Doc Rack and, and just generally across different forums so it was kind of like this big release but that was a lot to hold because it was a safe loving space where we tried to communicate gently and openly in the past so to suddenly have this inrush of also people that hadn't really been that central to the community before that suddenly stepping in and that's an interesting point in this is that most of the folks that were most vehement and passionately pointing fingers and getting angry weren't really in that inner dock rack ring. They might not have even known that that existed. I mean, that's that's probably the major takeaway. We can unpack this a bit later on, but like the fact that there were these unspoken levels of belonging and dock rack in that inner core was a really sacred familial thing. And in the outer ring, it was more of a kind of looser Facebook community group that, you know, could definitely stand to get criticized a, a bit more harshly. Um, and that, yeah, things started to fall apart. Like it was incredibly overwhelming for the admins at the heart of things. Um, friendships were dissolving, fingers were being pointed. Um, but then there was a group of people uh, who wanted to step up and take the reins and uh, kind of usher the group through this process. And to be honest, they kind of took 
the reins. It like they suggested that now is the time for them to take over and for the people that had been running Dockrack to step down. Um, these were kind of allies in the kind of social justice mold. Uh, four women took over. They were nominated by some other BIPOC members to be a kind of interim, let's make Dockrack not racist anymore uh, group. And that was intense. It was intense for them. It was intense for the community. Suddenly having this quick change in leadership and having the whole community collapse down onto a single issue um, where it was also a time when people needed that broader community support more than ever. So I think everyone was on board to kind of work their racism to different degrees, um, but it happened fast and, and not everyone agreed with it because it got very political very quickly. Really before that, we'd done a good job of like discussing, touching on politics without drawing heavy lines in the sand because once you do that, politics as we know it now is essentially warfare of words and ideas. And once that energy permeated the community, it kind of, yeah, just sides, factions grew and this um, transition team, uh, you know, I think from their perspective, nobly stepped up to try and create safety for the, the BIPOC members of the group who were just being, it seemed, actively traumatized by people's insensitivity around some of these issues. So they were wanting to create safety for their friends, but in, in doing so, it seemed like created a quite a tense and uh, charged atmosphere. And that uh, led to a month of racial kind of educating posts, which just kind of didn't seem to land. There was a few, there was a bit of a pushback from other people in the community who were like, Hey, this isn't what we're about. This isn't how we roll. Like there's more to it than this, but each one of them kind of got singled out and not really treated all that nicely in, in, in a lot of circumstances. And yeah, that kind of took the juice out of the community slowly. DocRack still exists and it's still happening as a Facebook group, but it seems that it hasn't really recovered from that time. That was about four or five months ago now, so it's kind of enough time for it to settle. And yeah, it's hard to see where it goes from here. A lot of key people have left the community um, and yeah, that's a kind of broad brushstroke of what happened and trying to make sense of it and 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 understand where things went pear-shaped and what could have been done differently and whether it will still live on in the in the version that it is now but please jump in sam and, and fill in some gaps around uh what you saw unfold oh man watching it and experiencing it unfold was really devastating and tragic in so many different ways I mean, everyone was hurting and it was a big trauma soup for sure. And yeah, it was easy to have compassion for people on all sides of it because it was such a tricky, such hard, tricky topics to navigate being so ill-equipped to do so. And like you mentioned, the timing of it as well during COVID and during the smoky season in Thailand where a lot of the community was not in Thailand even. And this Facebook page was kind of the way that many people were still connected to each other and connected to the comfort of the community that we had built. And yeah, to suddenly have that 
shut down or um, completely redirected was really hard while also super understandable in the point of time. And man, yeah, it felt kind of like a disaster. I think that I don't know how a community recovers from that, which is sadly feels a bit reflective of what's happening on the macrocosm right now, Mm -hmm. just with people being pushed to their different splintering groups and not hearing each other, not feeling each other really quite traumatic. Yeah, definitely. Trauma is a a good... Oh, go on, please. Yeah, I think other hard part of it that I felt, which you mentioned as well, was that a lot of the people that were controlling the direction that it was moving and the way things were being handled really weren't a part of the central community. A lot of them not even living in Chiang Mai or... Um, spending most of their time in Chiang Mai. So it felt like very understandable frustration and anger and trauma and sadness being projected onto something that was safe to project it on, but unfortunately couldn't really hold it. And was so meaningful to so many people. Yeah. It it was just so fascinating to see, like, broadly how the wider culture deals with, like, one of the biggest and most important waves of racial activism and awakening on the planet. And that's, by definition historically usually a a violent and tumultuous progress you know the fight for civil rights is is exactly that it's had to be a fight and i guess what was fascinating for me was seeing that energy then play out in our community with our friends and really seeing how these are like archetypal energies that people embody and fascinating to watch the way we react to accusations or sense of guilt, watching how factions form, seeing how quickly ties break down, how quickly trust can evaporate in this kind of cancel culture type environment to see how effective those tools are as well and how they work and how people's minds can be changed and swayed, but maybe not in, the most sustainable ways like this kind of a almost neo-religious dynamic that plays out of like people that had openly admitted their fault and their kind of original sin and then the people that were able to judge on who was doing the right thing the right way and it had this kind of like join us or you're against us type energy and that seems to be directly opposed to the subtle community story that Doc Rack was experiencing and embodying. So it was this clash of intense energies and really the, the, the new 
energy won. It's it was seemed like it was ready to fight with more ferocity and and kind of win at all costs, as it were. And so that's what I saw play out, which was quite sad. Of like the energy that was there isn't going to, or at least in me, I'll speak for myself. I wasn't going to fight against people who were trying to uh, have their voice heard and fight for a really worthy cause, you know? And so, yeah, it was, it was kind of like over before it started really, you know, there was like a few people that wanted to try and uh, keep Doc Rack in the form that it was, but they were kind of outnumbered and also just a lot of people were choosing to stay quiet and cause it was difficult to get involved. And, um, yeah, there were very high stakes at risk. Social media can lead to these kind of like liking, disliking wars. Someone comments and gets attacked. It's it's really traumatic. It was a really traumatic experience, to be honest. Um, I lost my sense of who I was for a while there, a few weeks of feeling like I wasn't a good person because I hadn't somehow, I don't know, I hadn't lived up to some expectation um, around my social justice ideas, but upon deeper reflection that 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 wasn't true and that wasn't healthy um so yeah there's definitely some group think going on i feel um and just a lot going on at once i guess one of the lessons is how quickly these things can unravel and how much you know happening in real time it's almost impossible to make sense of all this energy gets thrown around and when you've got these subtle groups the few people that are kind of trying to steer them once those people are overwhelmed it's just a free-for-all and then at that point it becomes because it was such a warm and safe container it seemed to be a place where everyone's trauma from different areas was kind of put into at once that was perhaps looking for healing or acknowledgement and that was like a washing machine of everyone's trauma coming out at once and i think usually that would have been over in like a couple of days but because of the history of doc rack the amount of goodwill and mycelium there was to hold that for a period of months it was quite grueling to experience um so yeah i recognize some community ptsd in me still as a lot of people are like can't even talk about it or what happened or make sense of it because of how strong their feelings are one way or the other that's starting to settle now but there was a splintering that happened and some other facebook groups started um but yeah, Sam, you and I have spent a lot of time making sense of it together, haven't we? Trying Absolutely. To yeah, trying to. Yeah, I think it's hard to look at when you want to relate so closely with a group of people, which is what community is for. Is it inevitable that it's just a pool of trauma that we're all swimming in unless Mm -hmm. everyone isn't hasn't integrated that enough or isn't intentionally looking at it it seems almost impossible to avoid eventually sorry for the doom and gloom (laughs) yeah well i'm with you right like i'm really gun shy around large communities now just having seen what was an awesome one explode so quickly when certain energies were unregulated as it were. Um, And, you know, they're all, 
worthwhile energies. That's what's tricky about it. It's like everyone was fighting for a cause that they believed in. So it, it wasn't even as if like maliciousness was at the heart of it, although maybe shades of it in certain certain parts of the story. But like it was coming from a place of people trying to do the best they can, but just missing each other's point and quickly becoming upset and angry at each other. And, and that was really difficult to watch. And I guess where I'm at is like feeling smaller groups, you know, more focusing in on smaller intimate pod level groups and then kind of gently coalescing together into wider groups rather than starting out as a wider community and going from there, which um, is definitely pretty magical though. There's something about that model, which we rocked as Doc Rack, which was unique amidst all the other collectives I've looked at, which was really special and unique. So I'm a little bit sad to, reach that conclusion that uh, that's going to be difficult. I feel to replicate. I, I, I can't imagine myself ever recreating such a pluralistic wide, quick group, deep experience just because now the risks that I see they're inherent with that. And that makes me a bit sad. Yeah. Super sad. Hmm. But there's lessons in everything, right? Like I've learned so much through the process, largely about myself. I mean, it's helped me see how my boundaries aren't great, right? And these communities are often a reflection of the people that are at the heart of them. And like, yeah, a friend of mine was reflecting recently that looking back, it just needed more structure and more boundaries and more kind of like a bit more direct uh, oversight in terms of early on saying, hey, that isn't how we communicate here. And if you're not down with that, then leave the group. You know what I mean? Like that makes sense in hindsight. Um, and I guess that's something that I'm learning in myself that I'm quite uh, permeable in terms of wanting other people to feel heard and understood and um, maybe not speaking my mind as quickly and clearly and firmly as perhaps I should in a lot of circumstances and relationships. <laughs> Sound familiar to you, Sam? <laughs> Me? No. <laughs> yeah, it's hard because that's also where the magic is, right? Yeah. So it's tricky because it's also what brings people together and makes them comfortable and it's yeah. how you get to the point where you're resonating so much that you care deeply if it falls apart yeah definitely interesting dance you've got to kind of create that open accepting inclusive energy to begin with to set the dna and tone for these experiences but you can't go too wide or else over time you're going to lose that integrity it's such a subtle process um but i mean where you and i have kind of arrived is like you've got to work on ourselves first right after this experience we see how many unintegrated parts of ourselves and how much trauma we're carrying and our own codependent patterns and i think we're both realizing that like we need to integrate that before we're actually able to 
flow and contribute to a group experience or else we'll just project our own trauma and ego in there again and set up the same dynamics all over again. So it's like this dance between learning your lessons in a group and then going inwards for like quite a deep introspective learning journey before coming outwards and creating again is kind of how I would look at it, yeah? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's tricky also because all of our parts are interacting with all of the parts of all the other people in the community. So if you have anyone with some super unintegrated parts or lots of unlooked at trauma, it's it's just like a big pinball machine of trauma in a second. All of a sudden it's triggers everywhere. So I think it's probably the most essential thing in order to be relating as deeply as at least I hope to with people in community that there's some kind of personal responsibility for looking at our shit, looking at our shadows before getting into such a deep group story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the greater level of openness and coherence and resonance, the greater level of personal integration we all need to have done or else it can explode in fantastic ways. And often just as it's peaking in terms of love and connection, like what happened with the pod and then with the wider community, it was the same thing. It was like we got to a level of cohesion that people that seemed to like, I don't know, maybe dissolve people's cognitive dissonance barriers and allow that to come out. But that's a lot to hold when it's happening to everyone at once, you kind of need to do that in little segments, little little parts of that integration work. And so, yeah, my, my lens on this whole collective community movement now is really their group therapy integration stories up until the point where we can really roll together as like cohesive units that can reform our economy and political structures. Like that's the future of it. But to begin with, it's really like, who am I and what have I not been looking at my whole life and how can I look at that with others without shaming or hating myself or projecting that onto others and then blaming them, um, which is a super subtle dance. And I think they're kind of like romantic relationships where when the illusion of safety is at its peak, that's when the trauma unloading starts to happen, which is why I think both the pod and in Dokrak, you saw at the very height of it is when it falls apart because people feel safe, maybe safer than they should, think it's stronger than they should. And yeah, it's tragic. It is. Beautiful. You, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Tragic. I mean, I get a sense of how just life is just so deliciously aggression in its levels of tragedy. Like this felt like an epic sort of play that was unfolding with these scenes, some of these scenes of different people clashing around different racial issues. And like, they were huge dramatic moments and they could only be set up because of the history that had happened within the community. So it was definitely a spectacle and everyone loves a spectacle. You know, there was a lot of engagement at that time, but uh, also we need to point to the like disgusting, Facebook energies. I mean, Richard Bartlett, who I seem to be mentioning every podcast, hi, Rich, is like he he pointed it out well when I told the story to him. He's like, oh, yeah, so basically Facebook did its thing, divided the community, and like 
destroyed it. You know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, put simply, that is kind of what happened. Because it's important to note that all of this went down not in person. The whole dissolution of the community happened from distance through Facebook, uh, which is a disaster on so many different levels. And it's an algorithm that is designed to, yeah, create weird, addictive, compulsive engagement with strange liking, disliking group discussion dynamics, right? Yes. I remember at the heat of all of it, getting a message from a friend saying like, hey, we're still friends, right? Because I saw that you liked this comment that this person said, and they're on this side and I'm on this side. So I just felt like I should smooth things over. And that's when I realized like the power of likes and even just how much the Facebook algorithm and the way that everything was unfolding so two-dimensionally was casting these sides and flattening people's positions and their understandings of it to only what was being shown. Super dangerous. Yeah. And an interest fascinating because it's like a, 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 our Facebook avatars and personas are weird faux versions of ourself anyway. That's already happening in real life, I'm finding, with people because of the amount of work that we still need to do. But then that's doubled when it's like our Facebook personas engaging with each other. So, like, I think there's a infinite magic in online community building. Uh, but this is a story, particularly the which platform you choose. Like, yeah, it can set you up for disaster. Um, the yeah, that was really, really difficult to, to, to also hear, you know, when people were meeting, people were messaging me and saying like two people that were fighting like tooth and nails on Facebook would see each other in person and then have a really good, decent conversation in person and then go back to fighting on Facebook. And it was literally just a function of <laughs> this stuff should be happening in person. And we all knew it. We all felt that, but we're all spread all over the world. So it was like difficult to, to do and it needed to be resolved and it kind of spun out. Um Recently, Sam, you mentioned that you're returning to uh, kind of existential philosophical waters, which you, you said that you swam in earlier in your life. And um, I'm curious how your journey through this Doc Rack adventure has kind of led you back to that space in this moment. Oof. Related. <laughs> well, I guess if we gain our sense of meaning from the purpose that we create, it's important to look around at how we're spending our time, who we're spending our time with, the quality of our connections, and the way that we're moving through the world so dependently. And <laughs> there's no better display of what safety-seeking trauma algorithms we all are than when we're in close and intimate relating with each other, as we mm -hmm. found out. But I also think... Like we can choose to define our connection to the world and to each other in the face of the angst of existing. Um, mm. And just, yeah, like thinking about what's, how powerful, how powerful and important what emerges from deep and meaningful relationships and connection is. Yeah, let's hone in on that for a second. Like this experience has completely changed my life. Doc Rack has literally set me on the course of what I want to do with my life, forming these kind of collective community spaces. I can't even begin to put into words how special it feels 
to feel like you belong with a group of people that feel right to you, that you want to move through life with. It's, yeah, it seems to be such a rare thing in this day and age. And the friendships and bonds that I've made that continue on with so many people, including you, are just the most precious thing to me. And there's there's been some pain with the dissolution, but I've largely integrated most of that. And I can look back and be just incredibly grateful and thankful for what we all went through and what some people continue to go through with the doc rack now, but just unbelievable. And it's set me up for having some of the most incredible experiences of my life. And those relationships continue and will deepen. And I feel like the friendship you and I share, Sam, is a good example of that. They feel kind of initiated, burned through so many different fires, like tested, battle tested, like trauma tested. Like <laughs> I think we're starting to get a sense of like what's real underneath all of the projections that we carried in ourselves. And from that place, they're the foundation from which to build some, some truly incredible community contexts. Yeah, definitely. Like... I feel super grateful for that because of all the trickiness and beauty of it all, the friendships that have withstood that are all the more deeper and stronger because of it. And yeah, you definitely. So, I mean, after, after mingling in community and potting together, looking at the absolute grossest sides of each other, um, it's just so beautiful to have such a deep resonating love. It's true. But that also comes because it brought up a lot of our shit, a lot of our shadow. I want to talk to that <laughs> a little bit as well, Sam. Like the fact that these communities create a context for you to see sides of yourself that you didn't know were even there. Like the amount of integration and personal development work I'm doing and I know you're doing, we're doing together is a result of all the experiences we had in community. Like it, it like kicked up, you know, love triangles and oh, all sorts of dramatic situations that reflected, uh, yeah, how, yeah, a sense of lack that we each carry in different ways. And whew, there were moments where I looked at you and I was like, whoa, Sam is really in it over the years, different decisions and choices you had to make. Um and that's allowed me to really see who you are. How does this person react in those moments? And that's, I'm hungering that f now. I, I'm kind of requiring that in, in any close relationship, like a real truth and authenticity and like understanding of that person's core cracks that they see it, that they're sitting in it, that we can both love each other for that. And we don't have to pretend it's not there. Like it's, yeah, it's a hankering I have. Well, I think what you're speaking to is how we kind of, need community in order to really see ourselves and each other and yeah. the tension between that and the fact that we can't really be in community until we see ourselves and each other yeah and i think that's why we've arrived at this place only after so much time and it's hard because i think yeah, these deeper community stories can't be rushed. You have to ride the waves and play it all out, which is 
beautiful and hard and the human drama yeah like it's tempting now to be like well that's what we did wrong and this is what you can learn from our experience but i'm kind of like no it, it was what it was it was exactly what it needed to be and for me what i'm learning it's like a bushfire that comes through there's certain plants that need certain seeds that need that level of heat to open and grow and create the next forest that's going to be there and i just think broadly that's where we're at in terms of this community collective story which is emerging everywhere in the world right now and is definitely the future but we're in that destruction creation phase of like whoa build something let the bushfire come through and engulf it all and then learn from those new seeds and create again. So I think we need to get good at kind of composting. We need to get good at like moving on and recreating and knowing that that's probably going to collapse again in another four or five years because we're just at the very beginning of relearning how to be neo-tribal creatures, which was our heritage for hundreds of thousands of years and is clearly a huge part of what we need to create a regenerative world culture. But yeah, so I look at it like that, like just wonderful, beautiful disasters one after another until in the future we can really get to the steady state. Um, I mean, you and I probably feel like we're there now, which is more delusion. Like I reckon probably the next community <laughs> set up. It's going to be like – and, and the, the more cohesion they have, the more wonderfully they explode. They're like atomic bombs. So goodness knows what we have in store in the future. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, totally. Um is there anything else that you want to touch on with the the Doc Rack story? Anything you want to add or anything that should be spoken to before we wrap up? I'm super grateful for the journey and um, yeah, even more specifically to the part you played in, in it and hence the part that you've played in my life over the past few years. And I know the lives of so many people in our community and the way that you really held it so lovingly and with your special magic and care and oversight. And I'm really grateful for that. And I know a lot of people are. You're super appreciated for the heart and soul that you put into the community and the heart and soul you put into everything you do and everyone you connect with. It's really beautiful. I'm really grateful. Hmm. Thank you, Sam. But likewise, it's just been amazing to go on this journey together. And that is, isn't that special? Those, you know, like those few people, like people that spring to mind are Justin and Sarah and Peter, yourself and Bernard, who've really gone, Kurt as well, walked through that center of that story with us and seen it. And that journey we shared together, what we've what we've been through, is just really beautiful. It's all about that shared journey with your friends through these intense experiences, and that's super precious. Um, that's what life's about. Little, that's what life's about. Yeah, I, I feel a little, I don't know, guilt or responsibility around maybe could I have shepherded things to not go that way. Um, yeah, I don't really feel that's true, but like, definitely the things I've learned from it and ways that I could act differently and different decisions to have been made. But for everyone who's listening from Doc Rack, I just, yeah, I want to send you my love and gratitude for everything we went through together for every single member, like everyone in that group, I have lots of respect and love for. It's an incredible group of people. And I hope that we're all finding 
unity back in ourselves again and with each other and new formats and that there'll be wonderful re-blossomings in Dockrack itself or other communities that emerge. Yeah, we've all been through something amazing together and we're going to hold that. Um, so yeah, perhaps that's a nice note to close up on. Um, definitely looking forward to having you back on the podcast in the future, Sam, to delve into some of the other topics we like to chat about, um, including the metamodern solar punk salon that we've, we're, we're brewing up, but we'll save that story for another day. So for now, I want to thank you for joining me here. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for yeah, telling this tale with me, um, sending you lots of love and appreciation in this moment. Thank you so much. Truly, the pleasure was mine. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. It's been a blast. So there you have it, the tale of Doc Rack as told by Joe and Sam. There's someone else that I wanted to mention that didn't get a shout out in the podcast, and that is Lizzie Roxborough, who for me is almost a, a symbol of a lot of the magic of what happened in Doc Rack. Um, my relationship to her is a good example of why I find these collective spaces to be so special because without having spent much time one-on-one -on, -one on our own, we've managed to have a lot of really powerful life experiences together through different community interactions. And there's a depth of love and understanding there that is really unique to this kind of collective experience. So Lizzie, sending you all the appreciation and I hope you know that I always hold you in my heart and that your music really encapsulates a lot of the magic of what we all shared together in Chiang Mai over the last few years. So if you're interested to learn more about collectives, my book is available, A Collective Blooming. You can find that at my website. Music for the show was by Johnny Eagle. And until next time, stay happy, well and safe, my friends.